So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So, we are going to dig a little bit into Jewish culture yet again. I know you're excited. There are some things that we need to know because this is a very misunderstood parable. It doesn't quite mean what you think it means. Now, normally what we deal with is the characters. So who are the characters? We have a father, we have two sons. We have an older son, we have a younger son. Younger son is the wayward child. Younger son turns around to his dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance early. Not a massive thing, you'd think, probably in our society. Dad, can I have my money now before you croak it? Yeah. Yeah. In Jewish culture, what that actually says is, Dad, I wish you were dead. Simple as that. If a Jewish son turns around to his father and says, I want my inheritance early, he's basically said, I can't wait for you to be dead so I can have your money. Now, that's a little bit harsh, isn't it? So the Jewish father, what should he have done? Well, he should have disowned his son there and then. The Jewish laws operate on a kind of a... Well, they have a society that is more honour-based. They have an honour-shame culture, which is different to us. We have a guilt culture. Right? We feel guilt. They felt they had honour and shame. Now, we see shame as a bad thing, right? I feel shameful. But shame for them was actually a very useful tool. Honour was given to people. It was like a currency. I've said this before. Who, is there any Star Trek fans in the house tonight? Any good? You will know, if you're a Star Trek fan, that Klingons operate on an honour system. If it's honourable, they want a piece of it. If for them, giving their lives in battle is the most honourable thing they can do. For the Jewish people, it's very, very similar. To perform some great act that 
garners you honor, that gives you honor, is something you can pass on to your family. Because your family, once you die, they inherit the honor as well. So honor is a very important thing in Jewish culture. It's a very public thing. Everyone knows who is honorable and who isn't. Certain actions will give you more honor. So if you're going to donate money to a good cause in Jewish culture of the time, rather than, you know, what we do, secretly give the church £100 a week and not say to anyone, because that's what you all do, right? Uh, <coughs> yeah. They do it with big fanfare. They want people to know. Not because they're like brash, but because they get honour from doing it. There's no point doing something and not being found out that you're doing it, if you see what I mean. So they have to live in the public realm. Everything they do is for the public eye. So if you commit a dastardly act, if you have an affair and you get found out, that means you lose honour. If you lose honour, you lose status, because the two are very linked. The most honourable people will be the ones with the highest status. Yeah? Think of honour as gold. It gets awarded to you, but it can also be taken away. So, the dishonour that the youngest son shows his father strips him of his honour and makes him honourless. He feels, he should have felt shame. Now what they do with shame is that that stops them from committing a dishonourable act. So a bit like a conscience, I better not do that because that will bring me shame, which means I'll lose honour. So they kind of, they would stop themselves before they made that. But he was shameless. He didn't have that shame, that sense of shame, so he just walked up to his father and said, I want my money now. Which meant that his son was stripped of any honour that he had, and he would have had some honour, but it also meant that he is dishonouring his father. Now the father can counteract that. He can stop losing his honour if he acts according to tradition and the customs of the time. And that would have been, son, you are dead to me, out the door. Then he comes, his honour is intact because he's done the right thing. Now he'd do that very publicly. Out you go, son, you're a disgrace. Honour intact for the father, honour stripped for the son. But what does the father do? What's the father do in the text? He gives him the share of his inheritance. He's actually going against the customs. He's going against the social laws. He's technically dishonouring himself. He's brought himself down a bit because he's kind of caving in to this son. This son who, for all intents and purposes, is saying, I want you dead. But he gives him the money. And the son goes off. 
And this is where the traditional sermon starts. The traditional sermon has it that the son goes off to Las Vegas with all this money. He blows it all on prostitutes, wild living, gambling, buys himself all manner of expensive things and has a right old time. Now, what I want to suggest to you is actually the youngest son did something very, very honourable. If he was going to be dishonourable to his father and got the inheritance, the most dishonourable thing he could do would be to do all of that in the place where he lived. I think they call that on your own doorstep. That would have been incredibly dishonourable because then he would have been spending his father's money on wild living and bringing his whole family into disrepute. But he doesn't do that. The text says he goes to a far-off country. He goes as far as he possibly can where he can't be recognised by anyone. Perhaps this is the shame coming in. He doesn't want to dishonour his father anymore. So he does all of his shenanigans way, way out of the way. That was honourable. Now, the, act, the stuff he was doing was not good, by the way. I'm not, con I'm not condoning the fact that he slept with lots of prostitutes and wasted his money on booze and all sorts of manner of things. That's not honourable. The fact that he chose to do it somewhere else meant that he took his father's honour and status into account, which is an actual an honourable thing to do. Now, the traditional sermon then focuses solely on this younger brother, focusing on his lavish lifestyle, the fact that he's run out of money, and then degrades himself by feeding pigs. Now, I'm sure many of us know that Jewish people have a little bit of a dim view of pigs. Um, and in the Bible, generally, pigs are not seen as something good. They are kind of eh, unclean, technically. The Old Testament says they are unclean. So the fact that he's brought himself down, he's, he worked himself to such a low status that he's feeding pigs. And not only is he feeding pigs, he's so poor and destitute, he's eating their food. He's that far down. And then in the traditional sermon, he comes to his senses and he runs home all the way from a far distant land and the father welcomes him and, oh, it's wonderful, and that's an example. We're the lost son, we've come back to the father, blah, 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 blah. That's the traditional sermon. Yes? That's the way it's always been taught. But, we're forgetting a character, are we not? Which character are we forgetting? The older brother. Now, when you get to the older brother and you look at him, it, the text for us seems to go nowhere, does it? He's, he's upset, and the father says, don't worry, you know, the son's come home. Don't worry about it. Now, I suggest 
that the oldest son is possibly one of the most dishonorable people in this parable. Because what he does, all in public, by the way, the servants and the slaves and the public are there. This is a wealthy guy, right? What we don't realise is that when the son, the younger son, is given his inheritance, the older son also receives his. Yeah. Because Jewish law says that if you give it to one, you have to give it to the other. You can't separate it. I'll give you yours now and then you can have yours later. No. He gave him his whole inheritance away to his sons. Now what we also need to know is that the older son is entitled to more. So the older son gets pretty much two-thirds compared to the younger son's third. So the older son is well off now. He's got his money right now. And he keeps his. But what does he do? Well, he publicly dishonours his father. He calls his father out. Why, why are you giving him all of this stuff? Why are you doing that? Why are you making a fuss of him? What about me? Well, what about you, Mr. A third richer than his younger brother? Mr. Who's actually come out of this pretty all right? What about you, Mr. Moni? And did you notice that he was angry with his father? That he called his father out? Why? Why are you doing this? He gets angry, publicly angry, in front of servants and slaves. He's dishonouring his son in front of the people that work for him. Imagine that. Maybe you're in a company, right? And you're the boss. And you're in a big meeting. And you're standing there. And someone beneath you gets up and starts calling you out and disrespecting you in the middle of a meeting. Put yourself in their shoes. How are you going to feel? You're the boss. And some office lackey is standing there and having a go at you and calling you out on stuff that he's got no right to. You're going to feel a little bit angry, aren't you? He's dishonoured him, hasn't he? Publicly. And now everyone of that witnessed that event is going to be going, oh, blimey, did you see that? He's, he's outed his father. I wonder what the father's going to do now, because if what the father should do is to chastise his son and kick him out. How dare you? But he doesn't. He doesn't do that, does he? Son, you know, don't be angry. Your inheritance is safe. You'll always be with me. I'm always with you. Don't worry about it. The slaves, the servants, the public watching that would have been amazed. 
Now, the parables are spoken by Jesus, right? Jesus uses the parables as a teaching aid. So all these people are standing around, sitting on the floor, listening to these parables that speak into their life, their culture. What's this parable about? Who is he speaking this to? Well, he's speaking about the Gentiles. So the younger son, well, that's the Gentiles. That's the people who are against God, but are now starting to come back to God. The lost ones, yeah? Because this, in Luke's Gospel, is in a cluster in chapter 15 of stories and parables about things being lost that are now found. We have the lost coin, the lost sheep. It's all about the lost being found. So all of a sudden these Gentiles, that's you and I, are found. They've come home. They've been found. So who is the older son in, real, in the real world? Who's the older son going to be? Sadducees and the Pharisees. Because guess what? The Sadducees and the Pharisees were watching this parable. They were there because they were following him all over the place and took note of everything that he was saying. So they're sitting there recognizing the fact that they are the older son. They're the ones going against Jesus, dishonoring Jesus, dishonoring God. Now their inheritance is safe. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees right here, right now, your inheritance is safe. You're with the Father. Why are you getting so angry that the Gentiles have been given an opportunity to come back to the Father? Why are you whinging about them? Your place is secure. Not only that, you sit at his right hand. You are in an honourable position. God loves you, Pharisees and Sadducees, for all your ills. You have an honoured place. You're Israel. You're there. He doesn't mean you harm. He hasn't taken anything away from you. Your position is secure. Why are you getting so irate at the fact that the younger son, the Gentiles, are being given an opportunity to come in, to be grafted in? It's not going to affect you. They're not taking away anything from you. Now, what has this got to do with us? Well, each of us can probably identify to some extent with the younger son. We've been there, we've done it. Sometimes we've done it twice. But we found our way back to God. God showed us the way to him. We found our faith in Christ and we've thrown in our lot. We've realised that what the world can give us is temporary. It's fake. It's false. It, it just doesn't matter. Our lives are dependent on Christ. Our eternal lives are dependent on Christ. And here we are in church. 
So who are you now? Are you still the lost? Are you? No? Who are you? You are the found. You're forgiven. Who do you not want to be? The judgy church types like the Pharisees. Because your position has now changed. Because you are found. You are part of God's inheritance. You have an inheritance. Now, do you want to be like the Pharisees, holier than thou, judgy McJudge face? No. What does judgment look like? What does judgment look like? How could you lot, you wonderful, gorgeous people, how could you be judgy? Anyone? You could be bitter and twisted. Self-righteous, like it, yeah. You could score my sermons. I'm going for a 9.8 today, Mike. We could be judgy. Now, we make judgment calls all the time, don't we? To say we don't judge would be ridiculous. We look at someone, we see them coming in, we see them wearing clothes, and we make an instant judgment. Tracksuit, egg stain, dirty trainers. Speaks kind of like, Oh, I mate, eee, handsome governor. Like some 70s guy from the Sweeney. We'll make a judgment about that chap and we'll go, well, poorly educated, working class, probably would aspire to a job stacking shelves. And I'm not dissing people that stack shelves, I couldn't do it. But we make judgments. We'll see a man come through here or a woman very smartly dressed, lovely brogues, immaculate tights, wonderful pencil skirt and a tweed jacket, pearl necklace, eloquently spoken. I mean, she speaks like Honor Blackman, but smoother and silkier. And we look at that person and we go, wow. Yeah, you're in the wrong place. Have you, have you tried the tab? <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? That is exactly it. What are you doing here amongst us? Judgy McJudge face, that. That's not what we need to be. But we'll look at her and we'll go, well, she's obviously well-educated, she's got money, um, apart from the fact you're asking yourself, why on earth are you here? <laughs> we make assumptions, and with those assumptions, we think, nicely dressed, well-turned out, very approachable, lovely speaking voice, equates to nice person like that person, tracksuit, egg stain, dirty trainers, sounds like the Sweeney, horrible person. Don't want to know that person. Smells a bit like B.O. and egg. Don't want to be near that person because that's a, that's a bad person. We don't want people like that in our church. I don't want to be sitting next to Mr. Eggstain. I'm just looking now, actually, thinking... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually true. Is that egg stain? <laughs> Get in. 
you're in the right place. <laughs> but do you see my point? It is very easy for us to be self-righteous. And that's exactly the term, self-righteous. I'm in God, I'm in Jesus, I'm trying to do everything right, and that smelly person comes in here with their egg stains and their tracksuit. Who are you? Who are you to come in here? You don't even believe in Jesus. What are you doing here? Well, guess what? One of the signs of a good, welcoming, lovely church is having non-Christians that come on a Sunday. We are blessed because we have non-Christians coming on a Sunday. That's nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with us. But most of all, it has everything to do with God. Because we are finally getting it. We are finally being a welcoming church that moves forward together. We still have our little preconceived judginess. I still see some people walking down the street and think, I wouldn't want to sit next to you. But it's about putting that aside and giving people a chance. And that's what we're doing right now, here, at SCC. We're giving people a chance. No matter what they look like, no matter what their background, everyone is welcome here. I don't care if you're an atheist and you come to a church on a Sunday. That's good. We want atheists to come on a Sunday. How are you going to have your mind changed, your soul saved, if you don't hear the word of God? Because you're not going to hear that in Tesco's on a Sunday morning. You might have Triana's there. <laughs> when you've got non-Christians who are seeking or feel just they need to be there, and they're coming to your church... Well, that's the time that we give them a good welcome. That's the time that we put away our culture, our preferences, just like the Father, and run out and meet them. He picks up his skirts and runs to his son while he's miles away. A public declaration of his grace and his love, his affection for the lost son. He doesn't just wait there standing going... Oh, hello! He runs out to meet him. The son is full of apologies. I'm sorry for what I've done, Dad. He's probably been practicing all the way home. Father, I should not have done that thing. I should not have done this. I shouldn't have done that. I've been so bad. Take me back. I'll work as a slave. You don't even have to pay me, Dad. And he's sitting there practicing that. I'm going to say that to my dad the first thing I say. And his dad does not give him the chance. He just runs out and he starts getting, right, put robes on him. Give him a ring. The significance of the ring is like a signet ring. That would have had his father's family name, crest, whatever on that. That's saying, welcome back, son. You're in the family. Now, one of the other things in this text, the public don't know 
what he's done. Why? Because he, did it. he didn't do it on his own doorstep, did he? So the public see this father running out to the son, embracing him. The general public don't know what he's done. Well, they don't know until the older son tells them. So all the work of the father, come son, you know, honouring his son, while all the members of the public are standing there going, well, that's wonderful. Look, he's come back from that business trip to come and see his dad. He's probably been doing wonderful things. Oops, older son let the cat out of the bag. Further bringing his father into disrepute and dishonour. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means well, whoever walks in through that door, whatever they've done, if they're repentant, you don't get to judge. And that's going to be hard. That is not going to be easy. It's very easy to stand there and go, I don't care what you've done. But if you get a paedophile walking through that door, where are you then? If you get a man that has committed atrocities, where are you then? It's all very well thinking, well, if an adulterer walks through the door, if an alcoholic walks through the door, if a nasty person walks through the door, I can forgive. There's not many crimes that are worse in our society than a paedophile. Where are you then? Yeah, are you going to judge? Because every, every fibre of your body is going to be doing that. It is going to be very hard to welcome and forgive someone like that. What do they say? God loves the sinner, hates the sin. Loves the sinner, hates the sin. The father didn't care what the son had been doing. He didn't stop and ask him what he'd been doing. He just wanted to embrace his son and honour him. He didn't care. And God is the same. Because when you're truly repentant, when you know that Jesus died for your sins and you accept Christ as a personal saviour and you believe in the work that he did for you, then you are welcomed back in the family. Your honour is restored. Your inheritance is restored. Who are we to judge who deserves that and who doesn't? We are not good judges. We're terrible at it. We suck. But it's also very hard to stop. I don't know what the future of this church is going to be. 
I don't know where we're going to be in five years. I haven't really asked God. I haven't got to that point yet. That's his business. Our business is to come and worship and to praise. And we look after every single soul that walks through that door. We share the gospel with them. We share our love with them. Every single person that walks through that door is entitled to our love, respect, and we need to honour that. It's not easy to walk through that door. It's not easy to walk through the door of a church. It's easy for us. We do it every week. It's tradition. It's culture for us. But for the lost, that is a difficult thing to do. Now, I'm going to stop rambling. But we need to be thinking about people coming home. That's the moral. These people are coming home. Not a different home. The home where we're supposed to be. They're coming home to their father. They're trying to find their way back to the father. It's our job to support, help, nourish, encourage, edify and honour that decision. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to welcome people home?